0: Welcome to Currents, your leading global voice of maternal feminism. As maternal feminists, we are inviting you to join us, using our voices in the public square for the things that deeply matter, our faith, our families, and our maternal identities. The Currents podcast aims to gather women who are deliberate thinkers, and women who are prepared to engage as powerful forces for good in our homes, our communities, and our world.
1: Good morning. My name is Kim Dean. I'm here with Carolina Allen, the founder of Big Ocean Women. I have been a part of Big Ocean from basically the beginning, and I have loved being part of this philosophy and having it kind of help shape and mold who I am as a woman and as a mother and as a wife and as a participant in my local community and in everything that I do. And I'm really excited to be on this podcast with Carolina talking about the philosophies of big ocean women and how, how powerful and how strong they are in helping introduce this. Um, I'm totally going to edit out that last part, but (laughs) that's who I
2: am. (laughs) So Carol, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. So my name's Carolina Allen. And, um, like Kim said, I am the founder of big ocean women and we are a women's leadership, um, nonprofit and we work locally and globally with women all over the world to step into their um, internal strength and power and to influence the world in many different ways. And we're excited to do this podcast together because we feel um, like our philosophy can be a really um, beautiful way to help other women do that as well so that we can, um, you know, have a broader network with all of you out there listening. And we're grateful for you tuning in. And we wanted to, you know, hit hit the ground running with our very first tenant, which is about faith. And, um, you know, we have 12 tenants that cycle through the calendar year. And so that means that women all over the world are talking about the same thing, having the same kind of, you know, grounded conversations. And, um, and so, you know, this month is We Believe in God and Are Women of Faith right? Which I love. It yeah. Is, yeah. And that
1: definitely is the groundwork and the, the basis for everything that we believe in. And I think having this faith in God and this belief in a greater power really centers us individually and as an organization, um, all around the globe. And so I think it's extremely fitting that that's the first thing we talk about every single year is this belief in God and this, this power that we have as
2: women of faith. Um, Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting, because um, we talk about lots of different concepts that we'll be sharing this year with you all. But faith, like you said, Kim, really is like the nucleus of where so much of this empowerment comes from. And it's crazy to me, because um, to try to alienate that or sever that from women, it really kind of, it puts a huge barrier between um, us and so many women around the world. If we don't include faith in our everyday conversations, because the reality is that most of the women of the world are women who identify with some kind of a faith tradition. Like there is a Pew study that, you know,
1: said I was just going to ask you about the that. 80s. I remember being yeah. like,
2: is it 80%? I was
1: blown away. It was away 83% the heard that. And of that's women around the world. of a faith tradition not necessarily in a religious prescri- a religious institution or is that do you remember what the details on that study were
2: yeah it's it's 83% of the women around the world identify with a faith tradition meaning a religion so i mean that's excluding women who are just spiritual and who don't identify with
1: so we're a religion. probably so looking at a higher percentage than even 83% if we include yeah and the study was done in or- the
2: you know, it's, it's like a decade or so old. Um, but I think that that just speaks volumes, that it's something that's kind of a central integral part of being a woman is to have this kind of connection to the divine. So I feel like it's a very feminist topic to talk about.
1: (laughs) Isn't that, I think the word you're going to hear in this conversation for those that are listening and for our community, the the term that we use oftentimes is maternal feminist. Um, And it's definitely a maternal feminist topic to talk about this idea that this very natural, it definitely goes back to almost an indigenous um, or a traditionalist mind thinking of, we are connected to divinity, we are divine. um, And that power both outside and within us compels us to help mold our actions. It helps empower everything we do both internally and externally in changing our lives and shaping our lives and the lives of our family and the lives of our communities. And I think that it's easy to get lost. It's easy to lose um, that power of faith. I think it's kind of maybe modern, modernly cool to not have that, but I think mm-hmm. I've for sure found it in my own life and in the lives of the women that we work with that it really is the ground foundation to everything we do. And I love, love, love that this is our first conversation. So yeah,
2: (laughs) yep. Well, it's, you know, the, the main, the main, um, point that we'd love to, you know, explore a little bit more is that faith is power. And when you can tap into this infinite source of power, you, you, you know, it can compel you along in these, um, it, it can give you this, this strength just to keep moving forward, to keep planning to keep to keep rising above whatever challenges are faced, you know are set before you. And it really drives our advocacy work and the humanitarian work that we do. Um, let's be honest, like to be engaged in the world, to be involved, to be present. It takes so much effort. It takes so much like mental power and physical power and, um, and emotional I, and spiritual, emotional power. and spiritual. Exactly. And so what I believe faith does is it just taps you into the source of infinite abundance where you can move from with the right intention and the right action. And it can preserve your energy for the long haul of all the work that needs to be done. And um, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but um, Big Ocean Women Leadership, um, we attend the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women. Um, We've done it yearly, um, with exception of the COVID year or two that, you know, it was on hold. Um, We did it online. But we do it for several reasons, one of which is to connect with our global sisters. There's not an event on this planet where you can just kind of go and see women literally from all over the world and get to connect with them in the ways that you do at the CSW. We also go to understand what kind of policies and you know trends are happening at the UN. They definitely trickle down um, at the local level. We're not fans of a lot of them, um, but it's important to be there and to be part of the discussion and to really understand what's happening there. But one of these events that we went to um, at the UN they were talking about advocacy work and how draining it is and how there's a huge burnout rate, right? That people want to get is involved. What we in we see cause. that
1: absolutely. People, we saw it through 2020, we have all sorts of movements of people being feeling a need to move, feeling this energy, this desire to change to help improve the situations of themselves and the people that they love. And we're only two years into this. And there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of frustration. Um, I think there was a lot of pure motives and a lot of true desire for people to do good things. And I think that's kind of what people... Push people or pushes people into advocacy work.
2: Right. What are you referring to in particular, Kim? Just so we can.
1: Um. Just anything from Black Lives Matters to trying to fight for religious freedom or medical freedom or the desire to protect our community using medical mandates. We saw it all around the globe. So just, Uh,
2: just you know, the broad spectrum of advocacy work. Absolutely, it doesn't matter left or right or whatever. Anything everything, in between. Everything right. in between from let's right.
1: protect religious freedoms to we need to protect um I guess religious freedoms maybe not the best example. Or I guess it is because that's what we're talking about. So protecting religious freedoms to protecting um the LGBTQ community and their right to be able to have the relationships they want and protecting both underneath whatever constitution that you're living under. Um you have right. everything from keeping the economy going to protecting medical mass mandates, like there's not judgment on any of the situation, but there's this desire, I think from people. And one of the things that I have found personally is that people usually operate from the best intentions. Um, Mm -hmm. I may not necessarily agree with what their desire outcome is, but ultimately they they try to operate from a place of, they want to improve the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with whatever modes of advocacy work that they operate and they choose to engage in, there definitely is this desire to change, this desire to improve um, the, situ- the human situation for themselves and for those that they love.
2: And once you get started, let's say on this path of, you know, want to get more involved, civilly involved, politically involved, whatever, I want to engage more, it, it can become very taxing, correct? And Absolutely. so as you're along this journey, you are, you know, juggling personal relationships and then you're extending yourself out into this, in this broader way. <clears throat> and it can, it can like the cause, right? Whatever cause it is, it can be so big and so deep and so personal. Um, And as you're engaging with it, it can really suck you dry in a way and just leave you completely Absolutely. depleted. Yeah. And what we're saying here, our conversation is that, everyone's you know needed in the work how can we hold on and and move through it more intentionally deliberately and in an inspired way and kind of re- preserve our energy for the long haul of the work that needs to be done so we feel at big ocean women that it's really a spiritual work and it's you know um this spiritual kind of connection is essential To stay engaged for the long haul. And so, I guess my question to you, Kim, too, is like, how um, how have you seen that in your own life? Like, how has your spiritual connection helped you carry through? Like, you've been with Big Ocean. We've been, we're like eight years old now. Eight years, eight eight years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Older than either of my kids. (laughs) It's been a long time. (laughs) And I feel like I've
1: watched this little baby grow up from these ideas and these desires to change to truly watching it change into a global sisterhood, which has been fantastic and exciting and humbling all simultaneously. Um, But to kind of address that faith issue, it's, you know, I was raised in a, in a very religious family. I'm from a very religious community. Um, I love the religion. I love what it can do for people. Um, But I think I've watching how faith, um, the general concept of faith the general concept of connection with divinity. And this engaging in this work with Big Ocean has kind of really forced me to put to concrete, um, put to concrete ideas what my connection with divinity is, um, Mm -hmm. and really test what that connection is, really test that relationship. And I, in this process, I've gone through um, what I like to call my messy center or Mm -hmm. my chrysalis experience, where you go from this little teeny, this little teeny caterpillar that's like crawling around the ground, pretending like I know what I'm doing at the United Nations or sitting in board meetings. And I'm just kind of like this little thing crawling. And I think there was this point where I had to decide to change and I had to decide to really connect with this divine power. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I call that moment, my chrysalis experience where I go and I connect with that divinity and I hang upside down and it's my messy center. And I just kind of dissolved into saying, God, like use me use Mm -hmm. me as I am and help me become this thing. And I I joke, there's this, this children's movie where there's this butterfly that's going through this transformational process and it gets, as it comes out of its chrysalis, it hasn't gone through the full transformation or the full transformation yet because of some outside circumstances, but it comes out of its chrysalis and it's got these two little butterfly wings And it looks, and it's like still this caterpillar with these two little butterfly wings and he looks back at himself and he's like, I am a beautiful butterfly. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) And that's kind of how I felt is like this trying to really transform and not being perfect by any means. Like I am in no way completed this desire Mm -hmm. to connect with divinity or really being the person I want as a woman of, a woman of faith. But like, I definitely at this point in my life feel like I'm a little beautiful butterfly. <laughs> You're on <laughs> your way. I'm on my way. And that empowers me to, mm-hmm. to go through those hard things because life is not easy. Right. And especially as a mom, like there's so many ups, there's so many downs as someone that wants to truly engage both in my first and foremost in my home. And um, mm-hmm. like, I, I love the work at Big Ocean. I love what we do as a sisterhood. But that has to feed back into me as a person. This has to feed back into my home and my ability right. to raise my children.
2: Absolutely,
1: um, never. And that's one of the things I love about Big Ocean is that we very much encourage the the development of the family and the prior the prioritization of the family um, as the ultimate center of our organization. Mm-hmm. Which, as women and as mothers, like it, it's it's fantastic to do that. Um, so I but want that to faith- talk
2: a little bit about that, like. Because we have been going strong for eight years and we have like a really massive leadership. Um, It's in the upper forties right now. Um, And that's not counting our international chapters, which we call waves. Um, But a lot of us have been doing this work together for a long time, like you talked about long haul. And so I think that based on what you said that it has to feed back into your family and it has to enrich you from in the inside out right I think that um any kind of a movement that negates this spiritual you know component is not going to last and I I think that I in the past I've been um I think the word critical is a hard word, but I would, I've been a little cautious, I guess, of um, movements that elicit a lot of anger and Absolutely. this kind of raised fist, kind of like demand this, demand this, demand this. What it does is elic- it elicits a very, very powerful emotion, which is anger, but it's like, you know, a little match. It just burns out so fast. And we need like these embers that stay hot and that can withstand, you know, a long period of time and anger, like it has to be relit over and over and over again. And it's traumatic for the human, like usually at
1: the cost of the humans engaging in the experience. hundred
2: percent. And so it just consumes, like it will eat you up alive and it'll spit you back out and you'll be rendered useless. Like you don't, you won't have a desire to engage in activism, you know, or, you know, civil engagement anymore. You're just going to be so burnt out. It's going to do a number on you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and the those all, all those things have physical repercussions, right? Yeah. And so I'm looking at a movement like maternal feminism and, you know, we're the global leaders of maternal feminism, Big Ocean Women. And we've had members, you know, that have been doing it from the very beginning and are a hundred percent still engaged. And we're like, we're still running. We're still going. And so I not to say like, that it's not to say that it's easy, not to say no, that it, it's, there it's, isn't uh, moments not of easy.
1: large frustration. And right. I like there, there've definitely been moments and I, I understand I I'm a fire heart um, to the yeah. center of who I am. So I understand yeah. that desire to change. I understand that desire, like that frustration, that anger, um, that fire heart that like the mama bear, I, I see an injustice and I want to change it, Right, um, but there is definite power in understanding that you've got to operate. You've got to be fighting for something. Mm-hmm. i want to be fighting for something to change rather than fighting against something. And that's one of the things that I see mm-hmm. generally connected with movements or organizations or, um, civil action that has, that's connected to that anger and those kind of that, um, the match that you were talking about is Mm -hmm. there, there tends to be, they're fighting against something rather than for something. And they're not centered. It's not, it's not done in a way that's intergenerationally connected. It's not in a way that's motivating to themselves or to their family. It's almost at a cost of, as we discussed the cost of the self, Right. In that process. Right. And it's so hard. It's so hard to engage
2: in that way. Well, let's, I'm going to just, you know, be very, I guess, descriptive here. Like, let's take, for example, Black Lives Matter.
1: You enjoyed, um, um, a beautiful moment. Like that's, I looked at the foundation of that organization and I think there's truth in this idea that, you know, not all lives matter until Black Lives Matter is kind of there was the original slogan where that came off right. of.
2: And, beautiful and, the George, and so the George Floyd killing was like horrific. horrific I remember seeing it surface you know on Facebook for the very first time and I couldn't look at it I couldn't watch it all the way I just stopped yeah. and I'm like this cannot be happening this is insane we're watching like the murder of somebody live and and people just kept sharing on it, social and I, media on and social they're just media. recording it it was right it was in gut-wrenching insane. yeah And that might, you know, our family is, you know, we're minorities, we're, you know, I'm an immigrant here to the country. My husband does, you know, a lot of research on minority issues. Um, it's his, it's what he does for work. We're very passionate about that. So when we saw it together, we were just like, Oh my word. Um, and so at the very onset, we were like, okay, this is, you know, we have to stand for this. We went to a couple of marches and, um, And the idea of anti-racism, like we don't just aren't, we can't just not be racist. We have to be anti-racist. And the idea that you had to be against it and fight it um, was interesting. Um, But then as time went on, it became very prescriptive. Like this is how it's done. This is what you do and this is what it looks like. And the more conversations we had with people that were like, super gung-ho on the black lives matter bandwagon um it became really evident that like the anger was very central and i and i i have many thoughts about this i feel like at the beginning of any injustice the anger is just a natural kind of baseline of you have to well and it's almost needed. It's needed. It's needed. There's not
1: it's not bad to have anger to feel anger, especially in these horrible injustice like George Floyd or any of the other situations that we see globally.
2: Right. The the thing that I did notice though is that it had to keep you there in a way. And I as time went on, and this is all you know the secret ingredient to my understanding this has been time. Um, What it caused those in the movement was either extreme burnout simply because the anger just had to keep being rekindled and it almost was like a re-traumatization of the injustice done. So anytime a microaggression happened, it was this re-trauma. And so people lived in this cycle of trauma over and over and over again and it left them completely depleted because it was like this match that had to keep getting lit with this anger and anger and anger it it had to keep feeling it. And it, it was, I started watching it closely and I started thinking, well, I want to be constructive. Like I did feel that anger and it burned, but now I want to build something. And I wasn't seeing people within the movement ready and eager to build and have this kind of creative energy. It was very much a consuming energy. And I started to step away from it because I felt like there's something else here that i'm that my spirit isn't quite aligned with and although i am very much against this thing i want to create something else which is a world in which um, people of all backgrounds differences specifically racial differences feel like a brotherhood and sisterhood that we're a family and that's what i want that's the kind of world i want and i want to to use this kind of energy in a creative force and um i'm not i feel as though you know there's a saying like you have to tear down to rebuild and i feel like the tearing down needs to happen internally first and what happens is that we want to tear down social structures externally before we're willing to look internally at what we're contributing to that and um and I feel like if you can go inside first and kind of be introspective at what you're contributing to X, Y, and Z problem in the external world, then you're in a better place to behave, you know, in a better, higher way externally. And um, mm-hmm. and I just wasn't getting that feeling from this movement. And so although, and, and the sad thing is, is that I feel as though we're on the same side, but it's become so militant that if you're not doing it exactly in the way they're prescribing, you are actually against them, which is really mind blowing. to definitely, me. it's definitely not in
1: alignment with how Big Ocean operates. We're definitely more of a bridge builder, a more bring your generative, generative solutions
2: to the and, table, and yeah, to the well, table. That, I guess I'm operate. just using this Do as you. an example, right? Well, I, well, just as an example. And I, and I think that it's, it may be triggering for some people because it's a very, you know, it elicits a lot of emotion. It's, it's a sensitive, yeah. Right. But I think very that sensitive going subject. To, yeah, if I, I think if I just engaged in moving, this
1: conversation, sorry, I just engaged that? this conversation with someone locally um, here mm-hmm. in Alaska and we're years into this movement and there's still so much emotion and um, almost to the point that we couldn't have
2: an actual conversation. And that was heartbreaking. Well, see, and if you can't have an actual conversation, it's impossible to build anything because right. as human beings, our mode of building is conversing and working through problems together. I mean, that's it, that's what gets things going. And if it's eliciting so much trauma and anger that you can't actually get the ball going, like, what are you even doing? Right. You're just right. alienating yourself, you're further propelling the issue. The issue. And so, I mean, that's just kind of like, I, like, like I said, we need to be in it for the long haul. And if you're too oh. tapped out, are you too angry that you can't have conversations? I mean, what are we, where, are we, is the where are we heading?
1: Yeah. Right. There was a poem I had to memorize, um, in primary school by Edgar guest. And it, I believe the title, um, is, the Wreckers by, or the records by Edgar Guest, And we can post this in the show notes. Um, but it's this poem of this man who's walking through a city and he comes mm-hmm. upon a construction site mm-hmm. and he asks the foreman, he's like, are these men like, what kind of skills do these men have? You know, what kind of qualifications do these guys have to be wrecking this building? And he looked at the, um, the foreman looks at him and he goes, "If I can remember this, right. He goes, you know, I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. And he goes on to say that like they have no, no special skills. And they're just used by this company to destroy buildings in order to kind of make way for something. And I've, as a kid, I thought about that. And later on in the poem, it talks about, you know, deciding who you want to be. Do you want to be the wrecker who just walks the town content with the labor of tearing down? Or do you want to be a builder who measures life by the ruined square shaping your deeds to a well-made plan and I'm, I'm not quoting this correctly. Um, but it definitely as a child had me thinking from a very young age, what kind of actions and energy did I want to put out into this world? Was right. I okay with just destruct? was I okay with just being destructive and tearing things down? Um, or as a builder, like there, there's definite need for deconstruction at times. Right. Um, yeah. If you're building a house, sometimes you have to tear down walls, um, even to the point that you take it down to the very studs. But if you don't do it with skill, if you don't do it with forethought, a lot of negative consequences can come from that. And I have found that as, as a human being, someone that, you know, I, I subscribe myself to someone that has a fire heart. That's what got me involved with big ocean is nice. I saw some of the injustices happening in the world. I was working in social work at the time, um, which I'm no longer doing, but I saw the injustices and I wanted so much to bring and help create something of goodness in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I became a mom of two girls and that fire has only gotten hotter and brighter as I've watched some of the injustices happening. And as I've studied um, historical gender violence and some of the oppressions of women and the lack of lack of equality that can sometimes exist between the sexes. But if I let that fire heart get out of control, um, it, it just burns me. It burns my family.
2: Um, ultimately, well, it burns, it burns my, generations. It burns because generations because raising daughters, two little daughters, and, right? Your kids yeah. completely feed off of that energy. They do, and and, and they're the mm-hmm. one that they're the ones that pay the price for that. If I can't yeah. control that,
1: right? Um, but simultaneously, if I center myself um, in that divine power, if I go back to my roots of faith and say, you know what, I'm facing and I'm seeing this horrendous situation. Mm -hmm. And Carol, you did a good job at kind of describing how you went through that with the Black Lives Matter movement where you feel that injustice, you want to Mm -hmm. do something, but then you see some of those negative consequences of destruction after destruction without forethought, without planning, without a desire to truly build. Um, It's just anger and destruction. But until we step away from that and we come back into that, like when I do that, when I come back into that, that I, I can only describe it as a divine gift, a divine gift of peace that I can look at and still see these situations and yet still have hope to build a better future right. Um, right. for, for my children and for those around me. And it's when I sit in that space that true building can occur internally and externally.
2: I love um, it. So, That's so I true. love
1: this tenant because of that.
2: Um, yeah. And I think I think that you modeling that for the rising generation is is like this sustainable change, really. We're not going to see immediate change. I think that any kind of immediate ch- change change that comes too fast is not going to last. It's not. Right. It has to happen generationally and it has to happen from within. So your own children seeing you hold this kind of, centeredness in everything and to channel your emotions towards building and constructing something better is, I mean, just the kind of impact that that will have generationally in the movement at large, you know, is just huge. And, but we aren't set up like it's for some reason, we're just not satisfied. Like we need (laughs) change so immediate and the pendulum just keeps swinging back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's just knocking everybody out of this, you know, this kind of a, you know, in the playing field. People are just getting right. knocked out. and We have like no players left because everyone's so tapped out. So like the whole name of the game. Just is understandable just in the game. <laughs> yeah, just stay involved. So do what you need to do to stay involved. Um, and one and of I, my personal. Feel- mm-hmm. Yeah, go on. I'll just say one
1: of my personal heroes, her name is Sue Monk Kidd, um, And she talks about her own journey of spirituality um, in a Christian sense. And I love a lot of what she says. And she, after going through some of her transitional journeys, um, was talking about how she kind of involves her kids into it. She had older kids. She'd been going through this huge transformation. And they weren't necessarily on board with this idea. And so she said, this is quote, this is in her book. Um, and it says, I simply needed to pers- or pursue my journey in an open, quiet way. When the moments arose naturally, I mentioned my new awareness about things, but I never tried to push it onto them to struggle to get their approval or to insist that they embrace my views. I think there is some deep matriarchal wisdom and understanding that your example is first and foremost, the thing that will change people's hearts. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the words you speak. It's not necessarily the events you attend. It's not necessarily, it's that internal change that occurs that people recognize. Right. And that is what changes hearts. That's what ultimately, as Suman Kids like that's how inter- that's how generations are changed. That's how this exactly. world is shaped. That's
2: exactly and there it. can
1: be huge um harm And it's a very personal people. work, right? Oh, it's so personal.
2: It's a personal you know, I work,
1: thought but I am not in sure big that everyone's to change cut the out. world. What's that? <laughs> I said, I got into big ocean to change the world. And I think more than anything, I've changed myself.
2: Well, and I think by changing yourself, you are changing the world. I think that's what, I, what Kim is you know, saying. I, I know exactly. I've changed
1: my world for sure.
0: Yeah.
2: I've changed
1: my world and hopefully I'm, I'm becoming more and more content though with changing my world and, mm-hmm. and creating peace for my family in my home. Mm-hmm. And bringing other people into that rather than, and, and this does not negate the importance of reaching out into the community or desiring to change things on a macro level, but I'm definitely becoming more content with bringing people into my piece mm-hmm. and the, the individual connections rather than these giant movements of change um, that very much can be hijacked and taken over for different agendas and, and use the fuel of the individuals engaging um, for their own motives. Yeah. Not dang. to say all or not to say everything mm-hmm. turns out that way, but it's hard for it not to um, mm-hmm. if it's That's not centered in faith, if it's not centered in these principles, these long term, intergenerational, positive, generative solutions.
2: Right. Dang. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. Good stuff. <laughs>
1: um, so I guess really I, on this podcast, outside of just addressing um, kind of some of the philosophy that big ocean has, we're also going to be bringing on additional people to help us understand these concepts that are happening. Um, we're going to have Carol said that we have our organizations or our chapters globally, we call them waves, Um, women achieving vast empowerment is kind of the acronym for that. And we're going to be bringing on our different wave leadership and members to talk about how they're applying these, these philosophies and making them real. Um, because it's one thing to see them up in the cloud. It's one thing to have this um, intellectual understanding, but we want, we want that to transform our women, um, to be mm-hmm. more empowered women. And we'll also be bringing on additional people that are working in, in the field of activism or in the field of changing something in this world, usually in positive means. And we're going to be bringing them on to talk about how, how the different philosophies, how we kind of build bridges and cross bridges with that. Um, so ultimately like this podcast is meant to help women become their best selves. And that's hard, Carol, like like, let's be real deciding to engage in this idea of self-improvement. It's so much easier to try to change the world than it is to change oneself is my personal belief. Um, It's
2: true. It's true. It's there's, there's something like deeply satisfying in in coming to terms with the fact that we are contributing to a lot of the crap that we want to change <laughs> in the world. Because oh once God, you do, you're like, truth. Oh, I can't, I can, I can actually, you know, you know, change the way I'm engaging in this way. Um, and it just, it becomes like something that you're comfortable doing. And um, I, I actually have an experience about this. <laughs> I wanted to share Like, it's kind of a national, it became like a a national topic or whatever. So if there are any of our international listeners, I apologize, but that it's kind of U.S. centric. But um, so the university that my husband works for, um, BYU, um, there was some issue that came up related to race and um, racism at a volleyball game, and it happened just you know a few months ago, where um, a player, you know, said that there was you know horrible racist slurs being you know spewed at her as she was serving the ball, and and when when the accusation came out, I immediately just said, shame on BYU, this is awful, I cannot believe that this happened. And I just became so, I mean, and we had the conversation and um, in our kitchen and we had other extended family members around and, and they were like, this sounds so strange. Like, how could nobody have stopped it? Like, so it was just like, kind of like a, it was shocking in a way, but then I immediately just put blame on the students that I, you know, immediately believed the person accusing. And I came out on social media and just really kind of condemned the whole situation and was really quick to judge at that moment. My husband being wiser said, well, I think truth always outs. And he withheld judgment and just sat on it for a little bit. And Which I'm- says a lot
1: for his position because he is kind of the general authority and one of the general authorities in that. University on race issues, right? And like yeah. that definitely is in his field of authority and prerogative to speak on. So it's interesting to me that he sat on that. He
2: held that was a lot of wisdom. Total. He's so wise, way more than I am. In, in these instances, when I just you're just a fire heart, Carol. That's <laughs> yeah, why I like I it. <laughs> well, so it turns out this this student. Um, I don't want to get the university wrong. Well, anyway, this girl um, made a false accusation. Like, like BYU went and poured through video and interviewed all these students. And I mean, there were like, you know, African-American students in the stands right in the area. They didn't hear anything like literally. Um, but the damage was done. I mean, all these other universities says we don't want to play with BYU anymore. It was just this horrible thing. And, my failure to just hold back and just sit on it for a little bit. Um, I ended up just really feeling like the biggest fool. Um, and, and, um, a friend of mine, cause I had made this post and it, it was getting a ton of traction. People were commenting and it was just this whole thread. Um, I felt like a lot was a lot happened on the thread that I was happy about. People are having these hard conversations and a really, um, mature way you know it was it was heated there was fire there but people were engaging really respectfully which was awesome but um a friend of mine reached out and she says you should probably take that down and I thought I'm not going to number one because it's a learning lesson for me like I need to still keep this up and I came (laughs) back and and was very frank and you know vulnerable and saying, I made a big mistake. I should have just waited this and, and seen what, you know, what happened, you know, in reality instead of just jumping again and, and believing these false accusations. Um, but I didn't take it down simply because as a learning lesson for me to understand where my blind spots are and, and how I was so quick to judge and, and my biases, like I am biased. Right. Like, I immediately thought, racism is going on here, and how dare these, you know, and I made all sorts of horrible accusations in my own mind about the BYU students, (laughs) and that was horrible of me, right? And so I had to, I had to own that, and I think that it's, in a society, we should be okay with falling and then recognizing our mistakes and getting back up, but I think we want perfection out of everybody all the time including ourselves, including ourselves. And so I thought, well, Mm. no, I'm, I am going to own this. I made a mistake and I need to apologize for it. Um, and I need to, you know, do better next time. So I feel like, but getting into a place where that's okay is really comforting. Like once I did Mm. that, I was like, wait a second, I can do that for a lot of things. Like I can change repeatedly. I'm not the same person and I, it's okay that I make mistakes. I'm human. And it's okay that other people see me as as making mistakes and then getting back up and continuing on. Yeah. Like it there felt seems, comforting for me to do that,
1: which is beautiful. There seems to be this general, um, regardless of what religious idea that you subscribe to, there's this general idea of repentance or transformation or growth. Um, that kind reconciliation, of
2: reconciliation, reconciliation.
1: There's a there's a lot of like that's kind of one that's of the what big about. Of religion is. It's like yeah, yeah we can't do that my little daughters and I have, we have this thing called the do over, um, where if we make a mistake, we can immediately just say do over or whenever nice. we recognize that we've made the mistake, you know, let's just, mommy is going to have a do over. I'm so sorry that I got upset. Um, that's beautiful. Let me try to it. do this again. Mm-hmm. And it has been powerful because, you know, me and my fire heart have definitely propagated into my children. They both have fire hearts, one of them more so than the other. And it's been interesting with the times that she's come to me and said, Hey, mom, can I have a do-over? Cute. And when we have do-over, it's this immediate, like, it doesn't matter what happened for that moment. And we'll, yeah. we'll still address it. There's still behaviors that we need to address, obviously, but it gives the other person the opportunity to say, the person that's offering the forgiveness, the ability to say, you know, I see you as a human and I love you so much, that's no matter powerful, what. Kim. And then as a child or as the other person that has to ask for forgiveness, it opens up space to do so. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly what you did is you said, you know, let me have a do-over. I address yeah. this. I said this, um, but ultimately like uh, do-over <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. been that con that came from this idea of studying religions and seeing the power that comes in transformation. And that's and exactly there-
2: what we need in society, right? It's because yeah. people like stick to their guns in a way And like, they, they just get bigger guns out instead of just saying, Hey, I made a mistake and I need to do over our culture. Doesn't allow people to have do overs. We just crucify people left and right. Right. And I feel like, you know, we need to build a culture of like, it's okay to be vulnerable and to seek self-improvement, support each other in that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I have found that it is difficult for me to do that if I'm not in a good space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thankfully, I haven't screwed up enough yet. I'm sure I'll screw up as a mom at some point with this. Where
2: oh, you will. <laughs> I'll be. I know. I know. I
1: will. <laughs> oh, the truth. Just of a matter a mom, of time. Just a matter of time. But like, I haven't screwed up yet. When my daughter asks me for a do-over, like I'm usually pretty oh, quick to respond. oh, yeah. Okay, time. you're talking about a do-over. But I imagine that there'll be a point where she does something that's as she gets older, that's just mm-hmm. like, come on, like mm-hmm. I'm not ready for that yet. Um, but, and I, I feel that even now in like the stupid little stuff, because we're human and we have those emotions and we have those triggers and we have these preconceived stuff in our head um, that even at times where I'm like, I don't want to give her the do-over, I have to like go deeper in that, inside myself. And I have to remember of the, all the times that she allows me to do that do-over. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to seek that that love, that cycle of love that she's fed into and that I feed into. And I think that's as a society, like there's truth in this idea that we have to turn our cheeks at times. Mm -hmm. Um, And once again, that does not mean don't engage. It doesn't mean don't look at what's going on and trying to improve it. But there's, there's this desire and this notion in our society right now that you just have to, you can't turn the next, you can't turn your cheek. You have to swing back, Mm
2: -hmm. not just
1: for yourself, but for everyone around you. Um, and there is great wisdom such
2: profound education it when somebody let's say is deeply offensive to you let's (laughs) say and you and you educate in that moment out of a place of like grace that it is powerful like more so than if you would have just ripped them you know apart verbally and and told them all the ways that they were you know X, Y, and Z, whatever, oh but just like offering grace to somebody else and educating them that, you know, what they said was, you know, I don't know. It's just, it takes a level yeah, there's of maturity. Some, there's
1: some power in that. Mm-hmm. I feel like the closest thing to divinity um, is a well-rounded loving mother in this world. Like if I could say the closest thing to divinity, it's that, um, and I probably say that based off of my own experience with my own mother, where
2: mm-hmm.
1: I have been very much in the wrong at times, and I think of one in particular where I was actually pregnant, and my hormones go crazy when I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I remember just ripping into her.
2: Oh, no. And
1: I was so bad. And as I look back on it, it was just horrible. But I remember just ripping into her and feeling extremely validated. I got in the car and I drove away. In about an hour and a half, I come back, and. I, at that point, after an hour and a half of taking a nap and eating some chocolate, I realized I very much was in the wrong, (laughs) (laughs) very much. And I go to apologize. I pull up to, we're at a camp spot. I pull up to the camp spot and she just looks at me and she goes, are you doing okay? And just opens her heart, her arms and just gives me this big old hug and cries with me because she could feel the emotion I was feeling. Yeah. And there is wisdom in that because I was so much in the wrong, like, right. so much in the wrong, but there's, if she would have tried to rip back in that moment, like the anger and the frustration and the friction that that would have caused.
2: You would have rekindled would have,
1: all over would again. Would have rekindled. And, would,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and yeah. her opening her arms and just saying, you know what, like you royally screwed up and you were royally in the wrong, but I love you so much always, no matter what.
2: Yeah. Even though after
1: you do that, like there's, there's yeah. value and there's wisdom in that. And those are the things that we learn first and foremost, I think in the home, um, but the power from that really comes, at least for me in my life outside of my home and my family, that's come in a relationship with divinity.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: Your mom was, was tapped into the infinite source of abundance where she could have oh. that, that grace <laughs> for you in that moment, and it was bigger well, than any of you. I think right. that's what happens. And we felt when, it. Yeah, when when we we have the impulse to tear into somebody else. We're, we're moving from a place of scarcity where like, I don't have enough of something or something horrible is going to happen to me if I don't do this thing. Um, and then it just kind of perpetuates the trauma over and over again. Um, but if you can tap into this infinite source of abundance through whatever spiritual, you know, or faith tradition that you're aligned with, whatever it is, Um, You can move in these really difficult situations, you can move, you know, through grace and through like mercy and through enlightenment and through, you know, this kind of a centered approach. And that is so big, such a big deal to be able to do that. And you can do it over and over and and over over again, and And you have this spring well of fuel that fuels you from within. And, and so this idea of just scarcity, there's not enough, or I don't have enough patience, I don't have enough, this or that there's that concept doesn't exist because you're tapped into the infinite source. So you are, you can always move from, from abundance. So,
1: which leads to those generational activities that just take time. Um, You don't necessarily see the changes immediately, but you see the change over time. You see the shaping of the hearts of the children, you see your family change that ultimately affects your your close-knit community and it just spreads when it's coming from that source and i love carol how you use all those different um, the words for that abundant source because one of the things that i really 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 love and admire about big ocean is that we really are an interfaith community Mm -hmm. Um, and it's it can be hard like politics religion finances those are the things you don't talk about in general right? Mm-hmm. You have like those three things. If you're like talking at a dinner table, like those don't get brought up. I love that we have taken politics and religion specifically and have used those for our good. We talk about them. You know, we honor the different political views. We honor the different religious perspectives. Um, and that, that has given me such a well of, of knowledge and experience as I watch our Muslim sisters and our our indigenous sisters that practice indigenous religious or religions. And I see the way they operate. It's given me great insight um, into my own religion and my own belief systems. And I am been so grateful for our interfaith sisters and our interfaith network and watching them in whatever aspect they're coming into life at drawing from that infinite abundance that really does spread against or over time tradition, culture, religions, Um, like that's the, that's the power of the infinite abundant life and love that you feel from divine power. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carol, question for you. How do you, how do you best connect with your divine source? Like, what does that look like for you on the day-to-day level?
2: Um, well, I think rituals are really important. Um, I read, um, so I'm a philosophy major, you know, back in, In the day. I love deep thinking and philosophy. You're still a philosophy major. You're just a (laughs) philosophy major in motherhood. (laughs) Um, And so Shunzi was like a Chinese um, philosopher and, you know, extremely beautiful writings and wise words. Um, Talks a lot about the ritual and the mundane. And to me, when something is done with a lot of intention, even though it's mundane, it becomes very beautiful and ritualistic in a way that invites this kind of abundance into your life. And so for me, when I can start the day in a prayerful mindset, um, then all of these mundane things that I do that don't seem very important become ritualistic through the intention and the deliberateness that I put into them. So I could be, you know, feeding my chickens, or walking my dogs, or making a meal for my family, or washing the dishes, or mopping my floor. And I feel like I'm full of love to give. And that's how I feel like my oh, I like the divinity. That. I just I do it with love. I do it with love. And that's how I also know, you know, if I am not doing things well, is that I'm doing them begrudgingly. And so that's kind of like my litmus test. Am I doing this thing with love? Am I driving my kids to their soccer practices in the, you know, traffic jam? Am I doing it with love or am I, you know, so I just can maneuver through life with this kind of a, I can gauge myself and where I'm at. And the cool thing is that I can pray anywhere. Like if I'm needing to recalibrate, if I'm needing to reconcile some kind of a negative feeling, I can just pray in my car. I can pray anytime, any place and connect with divinity and tap into that infinite source again. And then my mundane actions become very holy and very sacred. And so I always tell, I always joke, like, I don't need fancy vacations. I don't need to ever escape my life. Like, I love my life. I love everything about my life. Like, every, every little thing that I get to do is such a gift um, when I'm living in abundance, that every mundane thing that I do is just a joy. And, um, I just feel I like love that. a lot Connection. of gratitude. Yeah. I don't do it I all the time and I don't do it perfectly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I'm like, I'm as you're trying. talking, I'm like, dang, I have a lot of growth that I need to engage in because uh, I definitely get that feeling. Like when you're operating in that, that source of abundance, when you're connected with the divine, whatever that mm-hmm. may be for you you do things differently. You operate differently. You move through yeah. the world differently. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely noticed, I've definitely noticed that in my own life for sure. I love that the rituals that you talked about were so normal to the human experience. I think at times we think these rituals have to be these huge parades of something, whatever that may yeah. be in your tradition. Um, but there's definitely a human tradition and a human ritual of preparing food. Of totally. caring for one's environment, um, of caring for those that you have stewardship over, whether they're your children or whether they're the pets that you bring into your life, whether they're the ch- neighborhood children that run over. Yes. Um, like engaging in those rituals and recognizing those as as divine rituals that it's sacred. Life. All of it's the sacred. mundane
2: things that we take for granted, they're sacred things if you do them in the right way. And God, I love. whatever God you pray to like can help you do that. So I don't know, I feel like, you know, as we as we continue this podcast at the very end, Kim, what do you think about this? That we just extend an invitation for that week for it. people. Right? So it. wherever you are listening and you know whatever faith tradition you subscribe to or you don't um, but if you have a will and a desire to maybe connect with the divine more intentionally this week, Um, because, you know, we want to hear, we want to be hearing from you, and every fourth week of the month, we're going to be, it's going to be more interactive, we want to get, you know, comments and questions in that we can talk about and interact with you, Um, but to do that, let's, like, go on this journey together, you know, so my invitation, Kim and I's invitation to all you listening is to, see ways in which you can connect with the divine um, this week and maybe how can you bring in that divine grace into your life um, as you are going about your everyday in these mundane things. And how have you seen that divinity kind of make these mundane things more sacred, right? I love that. I love
1: that. So, that's powerful. Like if there's a single thing that one can do, I feel like it is connecting with divinity. And that's, that's why it really is the foundation of big ocean women Mm -hmm. Um, is that when you're operating in that space, everything becomes easier. Um, Everything is filled with more love. Everything is just goes better. And so I love that invitation, Carol, thank you for throwing that out and thank you women for joining us. Um, hopefully these ideas can resonate and answer or provide insight or even just triggers for something that you can think about that bring additional insight from whatever divine source you go to, and um, throughout the week. But my gosh, Carol, like I'm stoked. I am stoked for this podcast because there is be awesome. so many cool people outside of like you and I, I love talking. I could talk to you for hours, um, about things every day, but bring in addition to that, bringing people in, um, throughout the network, of big ocean and throughout our, our friendship network, like I am so excited to see these ideas shared because I know they have definitely transformed the person that I am. I've transformed every aspect of who I am and in how I operate in this world for the better. And so I'm excited to share this with the world and thanks for yeah, engaging too. and thanks for recording and women, thank you, women and men. And we are a maternal feminist organization, but part of that is we love our men and we, we want to support our men just as they support us. So if this is a man listening, like welcome to Big Ocean, we have our- You're welcome here. You're welcome, you're welcome. So, we love you, Liles.
0: You have been listening to Currents, a podcast by Big Ocean Women. You can find us on the internet at bigoceanwomen.org, on Instagram, and on Facebook. We are each one powerful drop in a big ocean of change. Join us in one of our local chapters, Waves, or Women Achieving Vast Empowerment. Our music is First Rain by Ian Post. Editing and production is by Fifth East Productions. Please join us again next week for in-depth discussion about interesting ideas and about people who are trying to make a difference in their communities.